Every company needs to disclose at least some information just to run its business, so keeping everything confidential isn't really feasible. But at the same time, keeping things so loose that you disclose your most valuable proprietary information is a recipe for disaster. You need to have a plan. Welcome to IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. Our topic for this episode is protecting confidential information when sharing it with others. Joining us are attorneys Brandon Blackwell and Jason Balich. Brandon's a shareholder in the Chemicals and Materials Technologies practice at Wolf Greenfield. His practice encompasses a range of areas from patent prosecution and post-grant activities to IP transactions and portfolio management strategy. Jason is a trial and appellate lawyer. His experience includes successfully defending a variety of patent owners from manufacturers to public universities. Jason focuses his practice on trade secrets. And that brings us to our topic for this episode, protecting confidential information. Brandon, in today's world, so collaborative and interconnected, is it fair to say this problem is bigger than it's been in the past? Yes, I would say so. When I think of interconnectedness, I think of the internet. And, you know, it's a wonderful platform for communication and collaboration. And I've personally seen a great deal more collaboration over the latter part of my career than I saw in the earlier part, especially as the internet and connectivities gotten a lot better. But with collaboration comes information sharing. And with information sharing comes risk that others are going to take your ideas. But I think the speed and ubiquity of the internet, they've also introduced security vulnerabilities in making trade secrets more vulnerable to bad actors than they ever have been in the past. And having a robust trade secret protection plan in place is essential for guarding against those vulnerabilities. I'd also say uh, recent enhancements in collaboration and interconnectedness have increased the speed of innovation. I think arguably innovation is faster now than it has ever been, which makes reliance on trade secrets in addition to patents and other forms of IP more important than it probably was in the past. Uh, Patents often take time to get through the system before they provide a substantial deterrent effect uh, against competitors, but trade secrets provide advantages immediately and potentially uh, perpetually. So Jason, as Brandon just mentioned, having a robust trade secret protection plan in place is pretty essential these days, probably more so than ever. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see companies making in this regard? Well, it's amazing as to how many companies do make mistakes and, and sometimes big ones too. You know, what I found is that they often fail to document what their trade secrets even are. They say they have trade secrets, but then they don't write down what they are. They fail to then adequately protect those trade secrets, whether that's through contractual measures like non-disclosure agreements, or even physical security measures like encrypting things on a computer. They also fail to limit who has access to the trade secret. So, you know, if everybody in the company has access to these things, well, one would question whether it really is a trade secret. And many companies fail to even realize their trade secrets are what sets them apart uh, until a competitor gets a hold of them, at least. So let's talk a little bit about the planning process. Uh, Brandon, can you give us an overview here? Sure. I think a good first step is to recognize that you need to have a plan. A lot of folks don't, and then they find themselves in bad situations that can't be fixed. Any good plan will include a methodology for figuring out what information can be disclosed to others and what information has to be kept confidential and internal to the company, and even uh, within specific groups within the company. Essentially, every company needs to disclose at least some information just to run its business. So keeping everything confidential isn't really feasible. But at the same time, keeping things so loose that you're uh, that you disclose your most valuable proprietary information is a recipe for disaster. The plan should also include an outline of, of reasonable measures your company will employ to protect its trade secrets and other confidential information, which Jason just mentioned. 
All right. So, Jason, reasonable measures have to be employed to protect trade secrets, but trade secret law varies by jurisdiction. So how do you cover all your bases? Well, you know, every state except for New York has adopted some variation of the Unified Trade Secret Act. And, and that's helpful because even though there's a small amount of variation among the states, the whole point is to have one particular state's Unified Act be applicable in the same way as all of the other states. And now with the Federal Defend Trade Secrets Act, there's a federal law on the books that can be applied uniformly to all states. So increasingly, what's reasonable measures in one jurisdiction is going to be reasonable measures in another jurisdiction, even though what those reasonable measures are will vary depending on the circumstances, like the size and sophistication of the company. I assume this is a moving target. Things are changing all the time. Of course, things are changing all the time. I mean, there's always uh, new ways that you can protect your information and also new threats to that information. So you have to adjust with the times. I mean, 20 years ago, there wasn't the internet, and so there wasn't a need to protect against cyber attacks. There is now. Brandon, when it comes to best practices for specifying what information will be protected, what are they and how do you do it? That's a good question. Uh, the reality is companies can't protect all of the information that they have to the same degree. Businesses have to make money and you can't make money if you never tell anyone anything about your business. And businesses also usually can't make money without working with others to at least some degree. So both of those things are going to require that you exchange some information. When you think about how much effort to spend protecting a specific piece of, of information, we like to think about how bad things would be if the information in question were known by your competitors. If it would mean the end of your business or even the end of a substantial part of, of your product lines, then you want to protect that information as a trade secret. And if it would mean that your company is going to have a bad day or a bad week, maybe a bad month, then maybe you protect it as more general confidential information. Uh, and if it would be annoying, but it's not the end of the world, that's the kind of stuff you shouldn't sweat and you should just let folks disclose it. Uh, as to how to protect the information, how much time do we have left in this podcast? Because we could go on forever. I'll, I'll put in a plug here. Uh, Jason and I have an article that's going to be coming out and it gives some really specific suggestions on a wide range of measures that you can take to protect your confidential information and trade secrets. But if you can think of it and you think it'll be useful to protect the information, then do it. Let's start with some of the basics here, Jason. What measures should be considered while crafting an appropriate NDA, a non-disclosure agreement? Well, creating an NDA is usually the first place to start in any exchange of confidential information. The NDA is helpful because it lays out the, the party's expectation of what information is to be exchanged, for what purpose, and what term. It also lays out how the confidentiality of that information is to be protected and the disposition of the information at the end of the relationship. Now, there's a couple of flavors of NDAs. There's a one-way NDA that just protects the uh, information as it's being uh, given to a recipient and, and explains what the recipient has to do. And then there's a two-way uh, NDA that contemplates uh, an exchange of information in both directions between two parties. You know, one thing that we've noticed is that far too many agreements are structured as two-way NDAs when truly it's just one party providing the information, it just ends up in a cleaner agreement. There's also marking requirements uh, that will be set forth in the NDA, uh, and that relates to whether there has to be some sort of stamp on the information that you give to the other party 
to designate as it, it being confidential or a trade secret. Some NDAs don't require this, some do, and some go a step further and in fact uh, not only require marking but have a prior agreement as to what exactly is going to be exchanged. The last thing that's usually is part of an NDA is how to prove the information is not confidential. Uh, so it's one thing for uh, a recipient of confidential information to say, hey, we already developed this or we developed this information independently or, or it's public. Uh, but the question becomes then what evidence do you need to prove that? Can you just say it? Do you have to have documentary evidence? And the NDA should set forth that. Brandon, anything to add? Yeah, I would add most well-drafted non-disclosure agreements will usually include some restriction on the receiving party's use of the information. Just keep in mind that the other party may not need to disclose your confidential information to profit from it at your expense. So you want to make sure that you include appropriate provisions that restrict their use or, or otherwise restrict their ability to profit at your expense. You also want to consider whether the permitted uses of the confidential information will lead to the generation of any new innovations or inventions. If there's even a small chance that the other party or the receiving party will develop new intellectual property via their use of your confidential information, then make sure you include IP ownership provisions in the agreement that spell out who owns that intellectual property and what each party may do with it. And be sure to use present assignment language, not a mere promise to assign if the IP transfer is contemplated by the agreement. The magic words are hereby assign. You want to use those. You're also going to want to include appropriate provisions outlining the term of disclosure and the term of protection. So by term of disclosure, I mean the period over time over which the parties may exchange confidential information with each other. Depending on the relationship, you may want that to be indefinite. For example, if you're the disclosing party in a one-way NDA, there would be no reason to limit the time period over which you could disclose. Or you may want it to be limited in time. So if you're the receiving party under an NDA and you want to restrict the period of time over which the other party might send you stuff you have to keep secret, you might want that time period to be relatively short, or at least only as long as it needs to be to achieve the purpose of the exchange of information. With respect to term of protection, this is much different, and it's referring to the period over time over which the receiving party has to keep the information confidential and restrict its use. If you're the receiving party, you often want this to be as short as possible, and the disclosing party wants the opposite. One thing to pay particularly close attention to, if you are the disclosing party, is term of protection as it relates to trade secrets. If your NDA does not include an indefinite term of protection and you disclose a trade secret under that NDA, your trade secret will generally be lost once the other party's non-use and confidentiality obligations expire. It's another issue that we see frequently in non-disclosure agreements. So between everybody having did, or at least many people having digital access and all the sharing capabilities that we have in our digital interconnected world, this just compounds the challenge of protecting information. So perhaps, Jason, some thoughts from you on the necessary guidelines that should be in place and the role that an IT department has in enforcing all these policies. You know, having an IT department that knows its stuff, if you will, is really critical. I don't think either Brandon or I or most lawyers would even pretend to be experts in cybersecurity. But with all the news on reports of hacking and phishing, not only does a company need to be vigilant with its own information on its own systems, but it shouldn't leave anything to chance when disclosing information to others. So for instance, we uh, recently advised a client to include an ISO 27001 certification 
for any customer that was going to receive its trade secret information or, or an equivalent to that ISO standard. Cybersecurity is increasingly the new front line of protecting confidential information and trade secrets. And finding qualified IT specialists who know this can't be overstated. Brandon, can you describe the role that employee training and for those who are leaving an organization, the exit interviews, how this all plays in the process? Sure. On the first part, you know, having a plan is great, but it's not worth much if you don't execute. And I would say that training is the most important aspect of that execution piece. So once you have a plan in place, train every employee. New employees should sign employment agreements that include comprehensive confidentiality and intellectual property ownership provisions, and they should be trained as soon as they're onboarded. It's also important to remind new employees that they should not violate any prior agreements with former employers. Companies can get themselves into hot water if they use trade secrets they know or should have known were misappropriated from another company by their employees that they're taking in. Companies should also have regular training sessions for all employees, both new and long-standing employees. And during those training sessions, those companies should remind those employees of the importance of keeping company confidential information confidential and reviewing the most important aspects of the company's confidential information policy. So all of this training, both for new employees and exiting employees, and existing employees, all of this should be documented. You want to take attendance and you want to follow up with anyone who did not attend the training session. You also want to record the training session if possible, and you want to maintain all of these things in the company's records. Uh, it's also important to train employees to document all of their inventions, their discoveries, client lists, and all of the other company confidential information that they produce during their employment. And you want to check in from time to time to make sure that they're doing this. Getting to the exiting employees piece, during exit interviews, employers should generally remind employees that they must continue to maintain the confidentiality of the company's proprietary information. And you also want to remind them that they're not allowed to use that proprietary information outside the company. It's also a good opportunity to remind employees who are leaving the company that the company owns the IP. Uh, assuming you've put together an appropriate employment agreement that has that present assignment language we mentioned. Uh, and also remind that exiting employee that all of that IP is going to stay in place at the company that shouldn't disclose it or use it outside once they've left. You both laid out some good information for how to do things properly. What are the consequences, Jason, for those that don't properly safeguard this kind of confidential information? Well, before I tell you about the consequences, let me give you an example of a, of a consequence of properly safeguarding the confidential information. So have you ever heard of a little company called Coca-Cola? Yeah. Well, so let's take Coke as an example. So its ingredients are printed on every single can and bottle, and yet it successfully keeps the recipe as a trade secret because so few people know about the recipe. And, you know, just to uh, put that in contrast to a patent, if, if Coke had been able to patent that recipe back in the 1800s, that patent protection would have lasted for 20 years. But because Coke kept it as a trade secret, that trade secret can last forever. Now, you asked about the consequences of not properly safeguarding the confidential information. And the consequences is potentially a disaster. It could be the end of the company. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a, a famous case uh, out in the Midwest, a company called Tax Tracks. And Tax Track uh, had a new spin on leveraged life insurance. 
And the way that it sold it was that it, it pitched this uh, product uh, to customers, to um, life insurance brokers. And for most of those brokers, it got them to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but it didn't get all of the brokers to sign one. And so one of the, the brokers that TaxTrack pitched was New Investor World. And New Investor World decided instead of uh, signing up with TaxTrack, it, it was going to start selling this uh, type of leveraged life insurance all by itself. Now, TaxTrack sued for breach of this non-disclosure agreement because New Investor World was one of the ones that signed one, but then lost in court because the court found that because TaxTrack didn't get everybody that it signed, uh, you know, disclosed this new idea to signed an NDA that it, it wasn't a trade secret anymore. It wasn't confidential. And so tax track eventually went out of business. So before we wrap up, any final words of advice for companies as they collaborate, especially with outsiders to keep valuable IP confidential? I'll just try to sum it up in a few words. One, have a plan. Two, follow the plan. Three, tell your employees about the plan. Four, tell your employees about the plan again. And then finally, if you don't have a plan, give us a call and we'll help you craft one. Our thanks to Brandon Blackwell and Jason Bailich for sharing their thoughts with us on IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. We hope you'll subscribe to our series of conversations related to IP matters on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on legal matters related to IP, we invite you to visit our website at www.wolfgreenfield.com. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield.